It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. You are Locked On Fantasy, your daily fantasy football podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Locked On Fantasy Football Podcast. As usual, I'm your host, Vinny Iyer. When I'm not doing this, I'm writing about NFL and fantasy football for SportingNews.com. We've got all the Week 6 fallout there. That's what we talk about here on Locked On Fantasy Football as we start a new week before we can get into the next week of games, which is Week 7. A lot of buys this week. we got to wrap up everything we saw there on the Thursday and Sunday games of week six. We'll come back tomorrow to uh, get it going with the weekly waiver wire with Eric Edholm. Today, later in the show, we'll have Tom Kesnick of High Stakes Fantasy to help us with some uh, high stakes takeaways from uh, four games here in week six. Uh, some intriguing results there for sure. Some unexpected things that happened Uh Things we figured would happen uh, happen in some games, but overall it was uh, very uh, different than uh, we might have uh, drawn up there. And it's a pivotal week here as we go into the major buys and uh, looking at what these teams are going to look like going forward into the critical mid part of the season. So let's get started here with the Eagles and Giants, our leftover from Thursday night that kicked off week six. Carson Wentz looked like his old self here. Only sacked once. Three TDs, 278 yards. Good spreading around, but still Alshon Jeffrey came through here with eight catches on 12 targets for 74 yards and two TDs. Zach Ertz had the other TD, 7 for 43 on those nine targets. And Nelson Aguilar looked good again. Had a 58-yard play here to do part of it. Still not getting a ton of targets, but if more efficient than we've seen early in the season. Three for five for 91 yards there so a little bit more like what we've seen from the Eagles offense when everything is clicking on all cylinders we saw the running game also respond here pretty well it was a pretty even split of touches between Wendell Smallwood at 19 and Corey Clement coming back from the ankle injury at 14 but Clement was the much better runner overall more efficient uh, didn't average a ton of yards per carry but did get in the end zone was very active as a receiver went uh a solid game there with the TD. I don't think you can expect too much as these guys will continue to split work. But uh, Smallwood did lose a fumble there, and Clement should be a lot healthier here going forward with the extended mini-buy there. So expected to slowly tilt 
more to Clement, but I expect Smallwood to also be involved. But Clement is a pretty much a safe uh, flex play going forward because of his usage and versatile usage in this offense. Now, on the other side of things with the Giants, it was 34-13, so not much to see there. It was a Saquon Barkley show. Fell one receiving yard short of 100 there, 9 for 99 and 12 targets at 13 Carries for 130 yards and a touchdown. He dominated this Eagles defense. I don't know if it was all about this matchup here. I think it was a lot of Barkley's talent at work here. And they were willing to force feed him a lot. They really tried to hold back Eli Manning. A lot of dinking and dunking. It still didn't work. It was four sacks. Had one interception. Couldn't get a touchdown or anything going with Odell Beckham Jr. and Sterling Shepard. That's concerning given that the Eagles have such a weakness in the secondary. So really... uh, bad result here for the Giants. There's nowhere to go for a quarterback change, unfortunately. We just have to hope that they overcorrect and rebound with Pat Shermer and Mike Shula like we saw that Panthers game where they got Beckham going to big things. So when you're paying Beckham that much, you got to throw at him a little bit more. Ten targets was healthy, but not in the right spots. And uh, just ugly uh, there for the Thursday night or for the Giants. So tough to see there'll be better days, but uh, Barkley again, super studly as usual. Our next game that we'll look at is the one from 1 p.m. as we go into that realm of games. 20-13, to 13, the Texans beat the Bills. This one was a tough one if you started Deshaun Watson. Had two picks, couldn't get to 300 yards in this one, which has been kind of his saving grace here. But 177 yards passing, only two yards rushing as well. So the Bills defense did a good number on him. At least he got DeAndre Hopkins in the end zone early. Five for 63 on six targets there for TD. But Will Fuller, Kiki Coutinho are not automatic when this uh, offense can struggle. The Bills have a pretty good pass defense, and that's what we saw the result of. So ugly performance this morning from Watson. I think it's hard to totally trust him going into the Jaguars matchup next week. But Jaguars we've seen are vulnerable, and the Texans are going to see that Watson's running can help him produce their like it did with uh, Patrick Mahomes and Dak Prescott buying time and throwing downfield and QT working the slot. So Watson will rebound next week. Don't worry too much about that. As for the Bills, the passing game, Zay Jones continues to have a little bit of relevancy. He had a touchdown here, only three of eight targets for 35 yards. LaShawn McCoy at least is giving you some uh, Lamar Miller-like uh, RB2 production here, 19 touches for 94 yards. So not... Terrible for McCoy, but you're expecting a lot more from your RB2 week in, week out. This is kind of more like the ceiling for McCoy. That's difficult. And I think going forward, this offense could be uglier. Nathan Peterman comes in only 12 attempts, throws two picks, including a pick six. Did have actually have a TD in the game to Jones. But overall, Allen has the elbow injury. Peterman is going to be benched here probably for Derek Anderson. So that's going to sink this offense more and more. So McCoy... Reluctantly, now at least he has a RB2 or flex play consideration in uh, deeper leagues, at least, which is good to see for the past two weeks. But still nothing to get excited about. Just not scoring touchdowns either, which is very frustrating seeing that he's been the guy. The problem for the Bills, they just simply can't get into scoring position for McCoy, and that, that's really what we've seen develop this year all around. The next game we'll look at, and this was the high-scoring affair between the Buccaneers and Falcons. And with this one, uh, kind of what we expected. Matt Ryan, 354-3. and Jameis Winston, 395-4. and Had the two picks, but 
He had the extra touchdown, so he was the guy, and he also had 31 yards rushing in this game, including a late little scramble that almost helped him win the game on the lateral. So Winston came back, no rust at all. The concern we have here is the way that the Tampa Bay receiving court kind of played out. Mike Evans was a quiet man, 4 for 58 on five targets. Deshaun Jackson was pretty good, could have maybe scored in that lateral play, 4 for 77 on nine targets, but... Chris Godwin scored there, 6 for 56. Peyton Barber scored, 4 for 24. They didn't go to Ronald Jones at all, really. He had a handful of touches beyond Peyton Barber. So, so much for thinking that Ronald Jones would have a bigger role coming out of the bye. They just wanted to get some running back more involved. And uh, Barber was the guy, 17 touches for a solid uh, 106 yards and a TD. So, Barber's viable again. Product of his matchup a little bit against the Falcons that they were able to run so easily, but... Jones uh, just can't trust him now. After the bye, if they didn't make the change, it's not going to happen. So a little bit not surprising that Adam Humphreys was involved. 3 for 82 at a 51-yard play. Cameron Brate scored right away. It was his only target, by the way, 15 yards and score. O.J. Howard did play. He didn't really lose much without uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick. 4 for 62 and a TD here as well. So this offense, uh, not much is different here. We'll have to see how that uh, Jackson-Humphreys-Godwin Evans dynamic occurs at wide receiver, but I think they were more shading to stop Evans in this game. So those other guys really delivered. So Winston looking good there for sure. On the Falcons side, uh, when you look at uh, Julio Jones, still no touchdowns, but 10 targets or 10 catches of 14 targets for 143. Austin Hooper, 9 for 71 TD and 10 targets. What happened in this game is Mohamed Sanu came out and played well early, 246, caught both of his targets for a TD, but he got hurt. Hip injury affected Calvin Ridley, caught all three of his for 47. So Ridley and Sanu could have done more damage, but what happened is the ankle for Ridley, two ankles really, and Sanu with a the hip, they had to leave. So Hooper stepped in and was the primary second guy behind uh, Jones here. So a little bit of a bump up for Hooper in an already good matchup there, 9 for 71 there in a TD. So Hooper's going to be more involved. Ridley's going to be out longer. Uh, that's going to be a real damper there on the other side. They're already up and up. We'll see if Sanu can keep playing here, have the hip and play through it this week. But Hooper definitely is going to have a bigger role as Jones is going to get more and more attention if Ridley and Sanu can't go. In the running game, it still wasn't pretty for Tevin Coleman, but at least he found the end zone with his uh, 41 yards from scrimmage and 11 touches. Uh, Ida Smith there had only uh, 13 touches for 21 yards, but found the end zone as well. So, you wish they would uh, treat Coleman more in the red zone with uh, Devonta Freeman out, but that's not necessarily going to happen with this team, and uh, that's a bit of a disappointment there for sure. But uh, overall, we'll have to see Ridley and Sanu. Hooper now becomes more of an every-week play, if that's the case here, because Matt Ryan certainly trusts him next after Julio Jones. The next game that we'll look at to staying in our 1 p.m. window was the Browns and Chargers. And this one was all Chargers. And, hey, Tyrell Williams made a appearance again and did something for his team. Split some double coverage. Big plays there. Mike Williams, a very quiet day. One catch for four yards. So Tyrell looking good. Three catches, 118 yards. Only four targets, but had a pair of scores here. Philip Rivers, Rivers trusts him. This is the first time we've seen that downfield connection kind of rev up this year. I think it's a bit fluky given the way things happened. Uh, but he does cut into what Mike Williams can do. Keenan Allen's kind of been sneakily disappointed. Four catches for 62 yards on six targets. So 
Not bad in a PPR, but you expect a lot more from Allen. So not a lot of passing volume in general in this game. You had only Phillip Rivers and Geno Smith come in and for mop-up duties uh, complete 12 passes. Well, it's because Melvin Gordon in the running game dominated. 36 carries for 246 yards overall. Melvin had another great game here. Uh, 20 touches for 150 yards and three scores. So they could do whatever they want on the ground. I thought I didn't like Rivers this much this week because I thought they could do this running. But Rivers, okay, still had the two scores, the INT, 207 yards there. So he is playing up really well, just enough to do much here. But Melvin Gordon, complete stud. Austin Eckler, 7 for 60 here in the rushing attack. So not terrible. But uh, overall, you had to like uh, Keenan Allen getting involved in the Rushing attack to kind of uh, salvage, salvage his day there as well. So, Browns in the run defense, it's tough. Uh, you just expect Keenan Allen to do more in the passing game. It's clearly they're going to spread it around, be pretty balanced here. And that makes them hard to trust, especially in terms of trying to get in the end zone, which has been always a struggle for Allen in his career. When you look at the Browns, Baker Mayfield grinded through, but he took five sacks, threw two picks. It was kind of ugly out there. Didn't really have his receivers come true. Jarvis Landry and Antonio Callaway just completely disappeared. A combined four catches for 20 yards on 19 targets. That's unacceptable. When it's a lot of Duke Johnson, a lot of David Njoku, which we thought with the young quarterback checkdowns and tight end, you're not going to have too much there. Damian Ratley, at least he made the most of him at 6 for 82. So we'll have to see. But Landry has to start coming through here if we're going to trust Baker Mayfield in these type of games. Duke Johnson, the more relevance, but a lot of his production on very limited touches there. Six touches there for 109 yards in this offense. So I don't think that's going to happen very often. But if they're going to go in and say we're going to stop Carlos Hyde first and dare Baker Mayfield to beat us, it's going to be more grinding days like this for Hyde. 14 carries for 34. There, They really should have abandoned the run and just went nuts with Mayfield. Didn't happen. So Mayfield playing Tampa Bay coming up this week so i think that's his real shot at his breakout game there if he doesn't get it done there then we're going to move on in deeper leagues and look at another option our next one o'clock game that we'll look at before we hit the break here and uh bring on tom kesnick afterward is the jets colts what a game 42 34 a lot of scoring the defenses were involved as well pick six early for the jets had uh, three interceptions there of Andrew Luck. So when you look at this, uh, the Jets really uh, coming through here. Andrew, Andrew Luck, three of one and four still. If he's going to throw 43 times or close to 50 times, it's always going to be good for fantasy. Marlon Mack did come back and look pretty good in the running game at a 25-yard run, but he killed Naeem Hines' fantasy value for sure. Hines had a pretty decent day of uh, catching passes, dropped a touchdown, however, so... Marlon Mack is still clearly the leader of this backfield of the 12 of 23 carries there. So he's going to be the early down guy. So Mack does have some value in some better matchups, and we'll see how that goes. But I don't see Buffalo being one of those great, great matchups this particular week. But you look at the receiving core, no T.Y. Hill, no Jack Doyle. So more of Eric Ebron, 4 for 71, and a TD on 7 targets. Chester Rogers, of course, high volume, 10 Caught four for 55 in the score, and Marcus Johnson had one. Two for 54 in a TD. So Zach Pascal, he's just getting it done with whoever is out there. Andrew Luck, for fantasy purposes, it's fine. You don't care about the turnovers as much unless you're playing the defense 
on the other side, which you did here with the Jets. So good, good uh, production here continued from Andrew Luck, and that's what you want to see. Bad defense and no running game leads to a lot of throwing, and that's what Luck is delivering on that sense. The Jets, you're only disappointed with the rushing attack here, only 107 yards. Clearly the Colts try to stop the run here, but spreading around, uh, Jermaine Curse 9 for 94 and 10 targets. Robbie Anderson went back to doing nothing, 3 for 39 and 5. Terrell Pryor scored, Chris Herndon scored. They're just spreading the ball around. A lot of tight ends, a lot of similar receivers, so hard to trust anything in this passing game. Now, Quincy what came out of this game with an ankle injury as well, so very, very hard passing him to trust with a spreading around for a rookie quarterback. In reality, that's good for Darnold, but overall, that's not good for us when they have so many mouths to feed and are still finding a way to score this many points. Now, ever since I started doing this podcast, uh, people have been asking me, uh, who do I like to win in a particular week? I do my picks against the spread, which can be high in some weeks and low in some others. But you got to have fun when you're wagering on games. And i got to tell you, you got to do it in the right place to take advantage of the action. And uh, there's no other betting site I would recommend more than my bookie. You can check them out. They have great reviews online. If you're a player there, you know about their perks that are unrivaled in the industry to uh, get you those rewards faster the more and more you lay down bets and see some action there at my bookie. And uh, they have a good offer here for a first-time user of my bookie. If you go and deposit after 7 p.m. Eastern time, all these new bettors are slamming the site all day long. You get there after the rush. They're going to give you a little bit of bonus money up to $25 there. If you use the promo code LOCKEDON25, that's the promo code LOCKEDON25. This is on top of the initial deposit bonus you get up to $1,000 there. So it is a great, great uh, site to check out for gambling and getting into the action. We know that NFL betting has gone more in the mainstream this year with a lot of states legalizing it well my bookie has been there as a solid hub and getting ahead of the game for a long time so that's how you get in the game now go to my bookie or download the app and you can use that promo code lockdown 25 to save there and add to your uh, wallet initially with that 25 dollar bonus if you deposit after 7 p.m my bookie you play, you win, you're going to get paid fast there. Get in on the action now at my bookie and uh, see what I mean and take advantage of all the benefits of betting on the site. When we come back, we'll have some insight on four key games with Tom Kesnick of High Stakes Fantasy. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Joining me now, as he always does here for High Stakes Takeaways, here from the Week 6 action that we saw on Thursday and Sunday, is Tom Kesnick of High Stakes Fantasy. How's it going, Tom? 
Doing good. Uh, another interesting weekend of games, and uh, hard to believe we're almost at the halfway point of the season. I, I love the NFL, but the season just flies by a little too quickly for me. Yeah, and just when we think we know stuff or can get a good read on teams, uh, we're thrown for a curveball. And uh, this week, we definitely had a wacky game down there in Miami, very hot Miami, where the Bears' defense really struggled uh, in the second half. Uh, Weird box score for sure with Brock Osweiler in there. We'll start with the Bears. I think there was a lot of frustration with Jordan Howard owners because you saw him. He was running well in that game, but it was a, a very heavy Terry Cohen game. And I believe both players fumbled there, but they still kind of trusted Cohen more than Howard with the game on the line. Now, what do you kind of make about this backfield uh, going forward? Yeah, I mean, there's no question that Tariq Cohen is is arrived, and I, I don't think he's going to go away. This isn't like last season. I think he's going to remain a key part of that offense. You know, I, I still believe they need Jordan Howard, and I think they need him to be their guy that moves the chains and keeps them ahead of the chains, and then they can utilize Cohen more. So I don't think Howard is going away, but from a fantasy perspective, it's become extremely difficult now to start him and trust him because we're seeing so much of Tariq Cohen. So I guess what I would recommend from a fantasy perspective is hang on to him, put him on your bench. Hopefully you've got some options or at least one option you can turn to and see if things turn around here and we get Jordan Howard going, because right now I think he's just an awfully difficult guy to start. Well, one guy that uh, I wasn't sure about coming off the bye and uh, this Dolphins uh, defense by the numbers had some good things going on against the pass, but Mitchell Trubisky comes out and, wasn't exactly the Tampa Bay game, but Miami, he was uh, looking, again, comfortable with all his receivers again. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. I think you're seeing a comfort zone with this new offense, and uh, he is showing that. Uh, I thought it was a pretty solid game for him yesterday. By the numbers, it wasn't a great matchup for Allen Robinson, but he scored again, obviously Burton again. So, and you got Cohen out of the backfield. So I think you, and, and Taylor Gabriel is, is really making an impact right now as well. So there's a lot of weapons here and they're doing a good job of giving Trubisky easy reads to get the ball to those guys and let them make plays. All of those guys I mentioned are all good after the catch. So I think there's an opportunity here for Trubisky to be a solid QB two. Uh, and certainly we're getting into the big bye weeks now. We got four teams coming up in week seven. So he has become, I think, a viable streaming option. Yeah, it was hard because I was on the other side of a Trubisky-Cohen bomb, of course, somehow in week six, but uh, it was hard to uh, take that. But in good news, I did play Albert Wilson in a tournament, and I like the results there with uh, Brock Osweiler playing in there. Now, Albert Wilson, I wish we could trust someone in the Dolphins' offense, the passing game, but he's a guy I think that is going to be the boomer bust, but maybe the best bet if you're looking for some production from that wide receiver core. He's definitely, he's kind of their, their Tyreek Hill. He's not Tyreek Hill, but he, that's who they would like him to be. Uh, I remember reading a story right before the start of the season where they, they talked about how the plan for him was to use him in a multitude of ways, including, you know, on jet sweeps and, and out of the backfield and things like that. And We've seen bits and pieces of it, and yesterday we saw the explosiveness in the big in the open field. I would I would agree. Of all their receivers, he'd be the one guy I'd want to keep an eye on. But do I trust them on a week to week basis? I, I really don't. Yeah, and looking at the backfield, Kenyon Drake has just been the chagrin of many fantasy football owners. He had an opportunity here 
to put this game away, fumbled at the goal line when he has opportunities in a game that was critical to do so because Frank Gore was getting run, went over 100 yards, looked really good all of a sudden. And Young, I know he's working against the worn down Bears defense there in the second half, but is this going to continue fantasy owners and should we, to frustrate fantasy owners, are we going to see maybe that Frank Gore needs to be played more often all of a sudden? Yeah, I think it's definitely going to continue. I don't think there's any question about that. I think where we have to go now is, yeah, do we start looking at Frank Gore and say, boy, I need to be looking at him as a, a possible starter. Again, you know, we're getting to the deep buys now. So, And their matchup next week is against Detroit, who is horrendous against the run. So I think Frank Gore definitely goes on the radar next week as an RB3 uh, if you need him, I, I'm going to hang. I think Kenyon Drake is certainly on the on the board as well next week. It was. I think you have to kind of look at this though and go. He's never going to see a goal line touch again. It's going to be Frank Gore near the goal. But they did use. They are using him in the passing game. That's important. So that's giving him some PPR value. But again, next week's matchup is fantastic for these two guys. So I think both are very viable next week. But yes, Frank Gore is now in play. Now, with the Steelers, we can't really tell the future. The Steelers-Bengals game, they come out on top there in another exciting 1 p.m. game for uh, fantasy football players. But you look at James Conner, ran well for the second straight week. They seem to be a little bit more committed to the run now. Le'Veon Bell, what's going to happen here, do we think? I mean, is there any way that they can just simply send Conner straight back to the bench? Well, you know, I don't know about... Here's the thing. I don't know. This is a confusing situation for all kinds of reasons, but let's assume Bell shows up. The Pittsburgh Steelers at no time with Mike Tomlin since Le'Veon Bell has been there have been a committee running back offense. It's always been one guy getting all the touches. That's how it's been with Le'Veon Bell. That's how it was with D'Angelo Williams. It's how it's been with James Conner. So are they going to change that? I mean, that's a massive change in your offensive approach. Certainly, James Conner has shown enough to to stay involved and be a part of this offense. But again, they don't go with the committee. They refuse to go with the committee. They are the anti-committee in terms of NFL offenses. So most teams don't undergo massive personality changes in the middle of their season. It's just not what coaches do. So once Bell comes back, I would assume once he gets up to speed, which could be a couple of weeks, then he would become the dominant guy in that backfield. Because, again, that's what they do. It's what they've always done. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see uh, what news comes out of Pittsburgh during the bye, uh, kind of uh, try to figure out something on how they might use Bell or if Bell's even going to be there. That would be a little bit helpful for fantasy owners. Now, Antonio Brown, people were looking at him at a slow start. Has it just been the natural correction to say this is a guy, he's still back to uh, dominating with touchdowns? Yeah, he's Antonio Brown. And keep in mind, he was getting a ton of targets the first few weeks of the season. They just weren't downfield stuff, so the big plays weren't there. But when you got a, a target share like that, it's all going to work itself out. And obviously, he's still Antonio Brown, and Ben Roethlisberger is still who he is. So to me, there was never any sense of concern here. Uh, and, you know, he's, he's Antonio Brown. You don't worry about him. The only thing is you don't start him this week because they're on by. Yeah, that's true. That's the only week he's not going to help you. But uh, it's good to see him just uh, rolling here again uh, as we're used to. Now, with the Bengals, 
I've got to talk about Tyler Boyd a little bit. Now, last week, I thought with John Ross out, they struggled a little bit because uh, they had to change up things, how they put their three receivers out there. But Boyd this week, he just simply seems to get open all the time. It really helps that when A.J. Green's playing well and drawn to the attention, it looks like Boyd is going to consistently start producing here, especially when you look at uh, two tight ends, Tyler Eifert and Tyler Croft, out of the lineup. Yeah, I mean, the, the good news for a guy like Boyd is he's going to see single coverage almost every game because every defense is going to roll coverage toward A.J. Green. So there's a lot of opportunities each week for Tyler Boyd, and he's definitely cashing in on them. Uh, yeah, I mean, he, to me, he's, very, he's, he's locked in as a consistent weekly guy. You want to start him every week. And especially if the matchup looks like it may be more difficult for A.J. Green on paper. He's still A.J. Green, of course. But if it does look like it's maybe a little tougher on paper, then Tyler Boyd's upside goes up even more because he should get a lot of really good opportunities. Now, moving on to another game here. Finally, we saw a Vikings running game. It took the Cardinals and the worst fantasy defense against running backs to do it, but we'll take it. It just wasn't Dalvin Cook, unfortunately. Now, Latavius Murray produced here and came through in a big way if you played him in for Dalvin Cook. Now, Dalvin Cook is a tough one what to do with, but do you think this was more a fluky production from the running game here because of the matchup, and we won't necessarily see this with their offensive line in other games? Yeah, I, I think this was really a good match. I mean, keep in mind, Murray has not looked good, really, all season long. He's nothing there. He's gotten plenty of opportunities, obviously, with Dalvin Cook being hurt, and until this past Sunday, he hadn't done anything, so... And Arizona is really, really bad against the run right now. They're really struggling. So I think this was more matchup. Now, Latavius Murray, is a he's a professional running back is what I'll call him. So he's capable of having good games, but I don't think the consistency is there. So I think the Vikings want to sustain their offense and become more balanced, which they clearly want to do. It's Delvin Cook who you want back there. So it, it, we'll see what Cook's status is for Week 7. But I'm not someone who's saying, oh, Latavius Murray, he's locked in now if, if Cook is out. I think he's still kind of a week-to-week proposition guy. Well, we've seen Adam Thielen do some historic things out of the gate here, 100 yards in every game. Now he's scoring on a regular basis. But on the other side of this, there's some disappointed Stefan Diggs owners. It's, at some point, is it going to trickle back down to Diggs? Because I think some people try to take away Diggs first, but maybe you might see – a change here where they might take away Thielen away from Kirk Cousins and start opening things up for Diggs. Well, they might try, but here's the thing. Thielen works so well out of the slot, and most teams will not put their top corners in the slot. They just won't do it. So that really gives Thielen an, a built-in advantage virtually every week. You know, he, he, he went up against Arizona and Buda Baker, who is the second-worst slot corner in the NFL. That was, a, I mean, it was a slam dunk matchup anyway, but it really got slam dunk when you look at how bad Buda Baker's been in the slot. So I think that gives Thielen the built-in advantage every week. Stephon Diggs is, Stephon Diggs is having a really nice season. It's just he's not having the Adam Thielen season, which is through the roof. So you're, I think you're okay with Diggs. He's going to be just fine. It's just every week Thielen's got this built-in advantage working in the slot, and clearly Kirk Cousins like throw, likes throwing to him a lot. Well, you mentioned Latavius Murray getting going. Now, David Johnson got the touchdowns here. He did lose the, have the struggle there trying to get into the end zone with stuff there, but still did enough touchdown-wise to make a bad game somewhat salvageable. But we look at David Johnson. Uh, we mentioned the product of this matchup. 
it's the Broncos and Cardinals next week. Two maybe, two maybe the worst fantasy run defenses so far. Is David Johnson uh, due here for a breakout if they use him the right way? Well, yeah, that last part. They're clearly not using him the right way because they, they still won't involve him heavily in the passing game, which they should be doing. Here's what I'll say about David Johnson, though. He's only had one bad fantasy game this year. He has been over 15 points in PPR every game but one. So if you drafted David Johnson, you know, with a top three or four pick, clearly you wanted more, but that's not been a problem. If you're getting 15-plus points per game out of your RB1, that'll do it most weeks, okay? If you're losing, there's probably other reasons in your lineup. Now, looking ahead to this Thursday matchup, you're right. This is a great matchup for David Johnson. The Broncos can't stop anybody on the run. So you would think this will be a great week for David Johnson to really blow up. Uh, The matchup's great. We'll see how it works. But it's certainly a smash spot for David Johnson, and and he definitely needs one. I I would say to fantasy owners who have David Johnson, maybe not this week, but every other week, it's probably not best if you actually watch the games because it's really frustrating. Just look at the box score after, and you got your 15 to 20 points, and you're happy. Yeah, and unfortunately, I think he's the only fantasy asset that we're trusting on this team. We thought there was a narrative in play for Larry Fitzgerald, and maybe with Mackenzie Alexander on the other side, and Mike Hughes got hurt. Maybe he would get going in his homecoming game. But I think if it's not happening here, I don't know when we think it's going to happen, especially with Chris Harris Jr. next on the schedule. Well, yeah, I, I mean, Fitz is it's tough. Again, I wouldn't tell people to drop him, but you're not wanting to start him. I tell you, I'm very intrigued by Christian Kirk. That was a tough spot for him and Josh Rosen to go into yesterday in Minnesota. And Kirk had a, a good day. Uh, so is he somebody that I would feel good about starting every week? No, but I would definitely like to have him on my roster because I think when the matchups are really good, Christian Kirk can become a viable option for you. There's, I think there's a lot to like there. I think we're probably maybe one to two years away from really being excited about Josh Rosen and Christian Kirk. Yeah, we'll definitely watch that combination. One combination we know we love to watch every week is Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill, and that Sunday night game was just uh, pretty awesome to watch those two guys at work. They didn't win the game, but for fantasy purposes, we loved it, especially if you were able to stack those guys in uh, some format or another. So you look at Tyreek Hill, are you just surprised that – he, he's just so uncoverable at this point, uh, and a team like the Patriots uh, put one guy on him deep for most of the game. Yeah, I think it's a surprise whenever Tyreek Hill doesn't blow up against somebody because he is so fast and so explosive, and you get the ball to him in, in the open field, and it's like, I don't know how you, you bring this guy down. But he, he had a couple of rough weeks going into last night, but yeah, it all set up for him. I mean, it was amazing. He scored three touchdowns in a little over a quarter. It was that quick that explosive but that's what he can do that's what this offense can do certainly we're, we're at the point now where we just know they are going to put up points every week so it's going to be a lot of fun to watch this offense if you got any shares of it you've got except Sammy Watkins probably but if you got the main shares if you got Mahomes or Hunt or Kelsey or Hill you're going to be feeling pretty good about that most weeks yeah unfortunately we thought this could be an opportunity for Sammy Watkins but uh, to me, I think Sammy Watkins is just pretty much like uh, Chris Conley or Demetrius Harris or even Anthony Sherman. He just gets involved sometimes, but it's not a guy that they're necessarily going to force to get involved in these games. 
Yeah, I, I think if if you have a wide receiver who a starting wide receiver who has a bad night when your quarterback throws for almost 400 yards, it's probably time to move away from him being somebody you want to be putting into your lineup on a consistent basis. So, it was a plus matchup last night. You knew there was going to be scoring, and Sammy Watkins obviously did not come through for for me. He would not be somebody I would want to be turning to at all. If he he's going to have good games because you know he gets open and can do some things, but me. Uh, let, let him be somebody else's problem. Now, the Patriots, we know their passing game is usually exciting and puts up a lot of points, but they're starting to become a problem here a little bit. It took Robert Gronkowski to have that big catch down the stretch to go to, I think, five catches for 91 yards in this game. But you look at it, Josh Gordon made a few plays. Julian Edelman was able to get a touchdown. Uh, Chris Hogan reappeared and made some plays. Is it just hard now to even trust these Patriots week after week because not only do they have a lot of mouths to feed in the passing game, but they're really good at running the ball now. I think in a weird way that uh, this team, you don't necessarily look for them for those big points in the passing game that we were used to uh, last season. Well, I still feel, I mean, I feel good about Gronk most weeks because he's Gronk. And, and as we saw last night, he, he finds a way, right? So you come away, certainly, you know, you'd love 20 points out of Gronk, but if you get 14 or 15, again, that's not going to kill you. So that ended up being okay. Julian Edelman is back in the, he's in the trust zone without, without a doubt. So you, you just start Julian Edelman every week. He, he, Brady's going to throw him the ball. So it's the, it's the other two guys, Hogan and Gordon, that we're kind of looking at going, are we confident with him? I mean, Chris Hogan, he, you know, he's been an issue all year. Uh, they, they used Josh Gordon a lot more last night, but it's not like he off it was a pretty modest game so you know I think those are the two guys that are maybe I'm not 100% sold out on a consistent basis I'm completely comfortable with Edelman every week and, and you start Gronk you know unless you got Kelsey or Ertz maybe for some crazy dynasty league but yeah I'm, I'm good with them and, and Sonny Michelle has become an RB1 without question I mean he is locked in right now they threw the ball a lot last night and he still got a ton of carries and of course he scores the touchdowns and James White's been having a magnificent year, so you start him every week, too. Yeah, and it's just good to have, for a change, a Patriots reliability in the backfield, where it's clear-cut, you have a guy who's the power back, going to run it, going to score it, you have the other guy who's catching it. Uh, it. It's good to have some certainty from the Patriots, so finally in uh, 2018. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of reminiscent of the end of last season in the backfield, when we knew Deion Lewis was there, and we knew James White was there. So we could... We knew the roles. We understood what was happening. What's what's changed a little bit now is James White's getting a little bit on the ground, which he typically doesn't do. You know he's good in the passing game, but they're giving him some carries, and he's been getting a little bonus yardage there. So if you do have James White, you get 30, 40 rushing yards. That, that's just free. You're, you know, you're playing with house money there. But Sonny Michelle has clearly become the story here because they want to throw the ball. They are a pass-first offense, but – you're giving a running back 20-plus carries a game, and, and you know you're going to get touchdown opportunities. You know, this isn't like Garrett Blunt, who just comes in near the goal line and gets you a touchdown. This is a guy who's hammering away all parts of the field. He's, he's really looking fantastic. All right. Uh, well, another great spot again, uh, Tom, uh, as you usually deliver here on Mondays as we do our roundup of uh, the weekend's action. Uh, Tell us what you're working on there with the uh, high-rolling, high-stakes uh, players in uh, fantasy football. Yeah, I mean, again, every week we run our DFS contest on Fanball, which is the Fanball 50-50, $50 entry fee, 
50 teams competing, and the, and the grand prize is a free main event entry in the NFFC in 2019. So all you got to do is go to fanball.com slash 5050. And if you love playing DFS and you love season long, you got an opportunity to do both. You can play in DFS every week, and you got an opportunity to play in the main event for free next year. So, again, that's fanball.com slash 5050. All right, definitely check that out for sure. Uh, get uh, winning. You can win bigger and bigger if you're good at fantasy football, and hopefully you're getting some uh, great insight in the lineups every week. Thanks again, Tom. We'll talk to you next week. All right, Vinny, have a great week seven. This is David Harrison of the Locked On Commanders podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Discover. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Thanks again so much to Tom for joining us, as he always does. And a reminder, tomorrow it's Eric Edholm of Pro Football Weekly to help us with our weekly waiver advice and kind of getting some insight on the players that we're looking at there. So that should be a lot of fun as we uh, look forward and see what help we can get during these bye weeks that are coming up. But we still have a few more games to talk about here in week number six, uh, coming out of Thursday, Sunday action. We can look at the... Panthers and Redskins. Cam Newton, 275 and two touchdowns here. So he came through for fantasy. He also had 43 yards rushing as well. So not bad in a 23-17 game. Christian McCaffrey really was the focal point of that defense. Really was bottled up. Uh, if you had PPR, you were okay. But 15 touches for 66 yards only for McCaffrey. So you know he's going to be more the focal point. They dared Cam Newton to pass a little bit more downfield. Torrey Smith got involved. Devin Funches looked a little bit better. DJ Moore did have a costly fumble, but they still got him involved a lot with 77 yards from scrimmage. And Greg Olson looked pretty darn good in his return, four catches for 48 for seven. So you look at this overall, kind of what you expect from the Panthers. Not necessarily the explosive offense that's going to light it up from week after week. Can be a little bit inconsistent, but it's good for Funches with Olson back. That's the key thing here is that Olson draws a little bit more attention. Funches gets a little bit of good catch radii. Thing to exploit here more with the fumble still has trust from this coaching staff that uh, he's going to see more action because he's just so too explosive he adds another element there especially if teams key in on McCaffrey here so pretty much status quo for the Panthers going forward uh, Eagles matchup this week uh, I think that could be a nice little high scoring game for them uh, overall now what we see from the Panthers on the road as well is their running defense really st- stinks there even with uh, Thomas Davis back, 17 for 97 rushing for Adrian Peterson. Not bad, considering he almost didn't play. Chris Thompson actually didn't play in this one. So Peterson grinded through again with all his ailments. So you got to give him that. He's a baller there as an RB2. Now, Alex Smith, we were so down on him, and it really wasn't that good in this one. He was 21 for 36, had the two TDs, 163 yards, but was sacked three times, kind of looked messy after he got those early touchdowns to Vernon Davis and Paul Richardson. So Jordan Reed, highly disappointing. Five catches for 36 yards on nine targets, especially with Jamison Crowder not playing in this game. We expected a little bit more from Reed, but Vernon Davis was the guy more involved, more of a two tight end set here. 
that's basically what happened without Crowder. They couldn't do the slot action with Crowder, so they had to use the two tight ends. So that cut into Reed's targets as well in this particular game. So tough there. I wouldn't totally cut out on Jordan Reed, but it is frustrating there for sure if you have him. He's not an every week play by any means at this stage. And really with this receiving core, you can uh, forget about everyone else at this point because it's committee and spread out all over the place. And then when Crowder comes back, it'll be literally a bigger crowd there for the Redskins. Our next game that we'll look at, still in the 1 o'clock window, is 1 o'clock at least in the Eastern time zone. It was 10 o'clock Pacific, where these two teams are from, the Seahawks and Raiders. And a little later than that, in the evening in London, where the game was played. But Russell Wilson comes through again with a solid game here. We expected this, 222 yards, three TDs there for Wilson. Only 17 of 23, but you'll take that any day, the Troika of TDs. 220 yards, he even ran this game to erase his interception, essentially 20 uh, rushing yards, one interception. Now, when you look at his backfield, Chris Carson did run pretty well, but they didn't have to do too much. They actually involved Rashad Penny more than Mike Davis, 9 for 43 versus 6 for 21. So, so much for Mike Davis and Chris Carson being the split-up split. Carson is the guy. Didn't get in the end zone, and again, they didn't need too much. They kind of just... Uh, Went through the motions and knowing that the Raiders weren't going to do much to come back in the game. So there'll be better days for Carson. They just didn't need him much in this one. Good rebound game for Doug Baldwin if you're down on him after week five. Six for 91 there. So solid PPR day. David Moore continues to be a factor there. Ty Lockett scored three for 13 and a touchdown four targets. You just wanted a little bit more yardage there from Tyler Lockett as usual. But you'll get the TD to salvage there. David Moore, I think you have to really look at because they're looking at him a lot in the red zone not too many targets to trust but uh more and lock it in turn their presences are going to help baldwin as we saw here and penny if we gave up on him i don't think this changes their mind too much with uh, 11 touches for 70 yards but i figure this is a place where they can look at penny a little bit more and see what he could do with the raiders not offering much resistance so we'll see how that goes in tougher matchup i'm going to avoid this uh, seattle backfield altogether but Russell Wilson back to being a fantasy producer, even without running there, which is a great sign. On the other side, Derek Carr, this terrible, got hurt. Mari Cooper got concussed, was knocked out of the game. Derek Carr, 23 of 31. I don't know how you can go that high volume and only have 142 yards, but that happened. He was sacked six times. Atrocious game for this entire offense. He dragged it down with him. So I don't know what you do. I don't feel great about Marshawn Lynch going forward. If Cooper has to miss time... I don't feel good about Jared Cook or Jordy Nelson. So just uh, avoid your Raiders until we see something we like here. But so much potential on this team, so much being squandered by John Gruden and Derek Carr, just uh, really not being good in any capacity in this one. Our next game that we'll look at as we slowly turn the page to our 1 p.m. window is the 1 p.m., I guess, say pacific window there are actually no games in the pacific time zone there this week but the rams are close they're playing on the road here over in denver you look at that jared goff here struggle of a game but that was because it was the todd Gurley show when you run for 208 yards and two tds and do whatever you want at will it's going to happen especially when cooper cup gets knocked out of game with a knee injury and doesn't do much Brandon Cooks was a little bit bottled up by the secondary. Got involved early, but two catches, 53 yards, and six targets, and disappeared. That was pretty much the Robert Woods possession show with seven catches for 109 yards. 
10 targets, also added 12 yards receiving or rushing here in this game. So pretty much Gurley and Woods and not much else, and they rode those two guys to victory. Gurley, 208. I mean, just insane that he keeps getting better and better with every week. Wasn't used much in the passing game, but it can be your only complaint. But 225 yards from scrimmage on 30 touches and two scores. He's just having a monster scene. This is what we worried about with Jared Goff from time to time. Had a pick, no TDs, only 201 yards. Took five sacks. He can struggle in games like this against tough defenses on the road, at least against the pass, and very bad against the run. So that's what kind of happened and led to Goff's monstrously poor day. Case Keenum in the end had a decent fancy game. Very good, actually. 322, two TDs and an interception. He's going to get some garbage there, especially if he can't run, but Scott and Mary, you know, Sanders in the zone, 7 for 115 on 10 targets, and Demarius Thomas, 3 for 57 and a score there. So not too bad in garbage time. This team's trailing. They can't run the ball. Tough, tough outing if you started Royce Freeman or Philip Lindsay. Lindsay did a little bit more in the PPR with six catches for 48, but Royce Freeman needs the game flow in his favor. Maybe it happens this week against the Cardinals, who have been atrocious against the run. That could be a really good spot for Freeman to uh, do well this week. But overall, when the team trails, Keenum is going to have some garbage uh, time value, and that's what you saw here in this particular game. And Sanders just took advantage of a good matchup. This Ram secondary is still pretty vulnerable there without... Uh, the keep to lead, Marcus Peters struggling a little bit, so it's not a complete shutdown thing that we thought from early in the season that definitely can be trusted. Now, we go to the next game. This was a shocking blowout, 40-7. to Another of these late window games that wasn't actually in the late window, but in a time zone-wise. But you look at this, uh, Cowboys ran their quarterback around, ran Ezekiel Elliott a lot. Through to the slot receiver. Very simple. They didn't test the outside strengths, and they really couldn't. Come on, let's be honest. Michael Gallup and those guys were not going to do any damage. So this was a counterintuitive play for for the Jaguars where everything was uh, hard to get. You had a passer that had 11 carries for 82 yards. They ran him around. It was very consistent in the slot. Nine catches for 101 yards and two Ds. So pretty much it was Prescott running, Prescott short passes to Beasley, Prescott Handoffs to Ezekiel Elliott. He ends up with 24 carries, 106 yards. And he is including one 11-yard catch there. So when the Cowboys keep it uh, simple and let Dak Prescott do his thing, good things usually result. So Jason Garrett, Scott Linehan really uh, teamed up well here. Good game plan there. And you saw the high production for everyone involved. There on the other side, the Jaguars were out of their element. They couldn't run the ball. This is a pretty good secondary. He did get a touchdown late to a D.D. Westbrook here from Blake Bortles, but only 149 yards passing. Didn't even give you the garbage in the production of high volume from the Chiefs game, so tough for Bortles. The game flow also hurt T.J. Yeldon, who ended up with 11 touches here for 70 yards, not what you expect when he's the main guy. They kind of worked in Jamal Charles late in the game when it was meaningless. Five random carries for Jamal carries for five yard or for Charles for five yards. So waste of touches there with Charles. He's not Corey Grant. He's not going to be a change of pace. He's going to be slower from Yeldon. So disappointing all around. If you had the Jaguars defense, Jalen Ramsey not saying much after the game about this matchup said it all. Just terrible. They couldn't get after the quarterback. They did get three sacks in this one, but that's about it. When you give up 40, that's still going to put you in almost negative situations. In uh, most league formats, that's what we saw this week. 
Finally, we'll go to the Ravens and Titans, what we saw there in that game. Well, we didn't see anything from the Titans except 11 sacks of Marcus Mariota on 15 pass attempts. So you could only get off a pass 15 times. He was sacked 11, had only 10 completions here. So brutal for Marcus Mariota and this entire offense. Nobody could get going, help him. Once the running game is shut down, there's nobody out there helping on passing game. So this is almost an absolute zero all around. The Titans, I thought the Titans' defense could be somewhat valuable. They did have a pick in this game, but couldn't get to Joe Flacco once. They were in control here. Alex Collins, uh, interesting development here. 19 carries there, only 54 yards, did score twice. So that rewarded him. So Buck Allen, seeing a lot more a- less action here. Only four touches while Gus Edwards was the guy behind Collins. 10 for 42 here for Edwards. So new threat, but that's good news for Collins that Allen is is not playing as much. He had Lamar Jackson, had probably the most impressive run, one carry for 22 yards that set up a Collins TD. Overall, it was frustrating. Michael Crabtree, 6 for 93 and a TD. So he came back to relevance. John Brown, people are trying to take away the deep ball. But Crabtree really abused Malcolm Butler a lot in this game. So TD there. For Crabtree, good to see that. Willie Sneed, some good PPR value, seven catches for 60 yards on 10 targets. So the Crabtree, Sneed, Brown, we thought this could uh, be a bit of more lean towards these underneath guys when uh, people realize you can take away Brown, you can limit Flack a little bit more. And the Titans did a good job of that, but just didn't have a good matchup with highly expensive uh, Malcolm Butler not being able to stop Crabtree. So it's kind of a down note to st- end this uh, week on with not too much scoring in that, but... Collins, I think, is the biggest takeaway there is that uh, you can trust him more and more in your lineup every week now with Allen uh, not being forced in there as much. So there you have it. There's a breakdown of all the biggest uh, developments here from the games of week six, the Thursday and Sunday ones. We still have one more at the Packers 49ers. We'll come back tomorrow, break that showdown before we get into our waiver wire talk there with Eric Edholm. Thanks again for today for Tom Kesnick of High Stakes Fantasy to help us break down those four games for Lockdown Fantasy Football as we turn out the lights on week six, flip the page to week seven. This has been Vinny Iyer. We'll see you next time. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.